Hello, my name is Jane Court, and I had the privilege of speaking at NBC last Sunday. My talk was in three parts, but unfortunately only the final third was recorded. So I'm just going to give a brief intro to part three so that it makes sense to you. Thank you for listening. The title of my talk was Forgive One Another, and the text was Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. In the first talk, I outlined the background of Paul's letter to the Colossians and suggested two themes which are particularly relevant to us today. Firstly, is our faith totally dependent on Jesus, with nothing added? And secondly, how do we live out our faith in community? At the end of part one, we took a few minutes to reflect on the following questions. Question one. Can you think of any ideas or practices which might suggest we need to add something in addition to faith in Jesus to make us true Christians? Question two. What other gods are worshipped in our culture? And I wasn't thinking of other faiths here. And question three. How can we be countercultural but still relevant. In the second talk, we began to focus on our key text, which is Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We ask firstly, why must we forgive? As Christians, we know we have been forgiven and will be forgiven by God. But why is forgiveness of one another so important? The first point to make was that Jesus is our role model. He forgave those who crucified him. Secondly, unforgiveness is damaging to both individuals and to the local and universal church. These points were illustrated through biblical references and quotes from various authors, in particular Archbishop Desmond Tutu. A friend of mine named Anna then courageously shared her story of how she had been challenged to open her heart in forgiveness to her, her ex-husband and how that had brought peace to her. We then took a moment of quiet to ask God to bring to mind anything which may be sitting on our hearts unforgiven, ready for when we would move into a time of preparation for communion. So that brings, me, brings you to part three of my talk. How do we forgive? Going back to Desmond Tutu, he asked the question, how do we get rid of the hatchet forever instead of just burying it for a time and digging it up later? You know, I've often felt like Peter when he asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? And how many times did Jesus say? 70 times 7, yeah. This isn't easy. I have to confess, I have not found it easy writing this sermon or preparing this talk. There is so, it, God's brought to my mind so many things that I need to deal with and put right in my life. Forgiveness is painful. I do have a little uh, positive story of my own, and I, I'll just make it very brief. I struggled um, with the emotions surrounding a, a, a father who was largely absent during my growing up years 
And when I became a Christian in my early 30s, uh, I realized, a bit like Anna, only the story is different, but it's the same thing. I, I realized that I had to forgive him, even though he was blissfully unaware that I needed to do that. Um, to him, there was no problem, but to me, it was. Um, and so I did. Uh, and like Anna, it, was a, it wasn't easy, and it was a, an act of will. But some amazing things came out of that. And um, apart from the personal release to me, my dad became a Christian, which was incredible. And not only that, he actually received amazing healing of his deafness. And that flowed from that act of forgiveness, not immediately, but over a period of time. You know, Jesus taught us to love our enemies. He didn't say, like your enemies. And do you know why? Because love is not an emotion or a feeling. It's an action, and we can choose and control it. And forgiveness is the same. We can choose to forgive. I've got a little clip which Steve is going to put up for us in a moment uh, from a film called The Shack. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. It's the story of Mac, whose daughter was kidnapped and murdered. And in this little clip, Mac is having a conversation with God about forgiving the perpetrator of that crime. Should we have the lights off? <clears throat> Redeem him. He should burn in hell. So we're back to you as the judge. So you, you just let him get away with it? Nobody gets away with anything. Everything bears consequences. What he did was horrible. I'm not asking you to excuse what he did. I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. And then what? Forgiveness doesn't establish a relationship. It's just about letting go of his throat. Mac. The pain inside is devouring you, robbing you of joy and crippling your capacity to love. I can't. You're not stuck because you can't. You're stuck because you won't.
such a joy. I'm still angry. Of course you are. No one lets go all at once. You might have to do it a, a thousand times before it gets any easier. But it will. I think I could have just played that and done nothing else this morning. God allows us a choice, you see. We can remain in Adam, a selfish, rebellious life ruled by our earthly nature, or we can choose to live in Christ, God-centered, obedient, loving, and liberated, choosing to control those damaging emotions and behaviors. How do we do that? Well, this is where we get down to this text, isn't it? Because this is what Paul, how Paul tells us. Um, from verse 12 onwards, he says, Since we are God's chosen people, dearly loved and forgiven, we can clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patient, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving whatever grievances we have against one another. What binds this all together in perfect unity is love. He goes on, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And the your here, a your hearts, is plural in the text. Paul's command is that as the church we must live in peace. Together, this peace flows from forgiveness and is truly countercultural. You know, a church with gossiping and cold shouldering, with power games and competitiveness, which doesn't honour individuals for their gifts and their differences, that's just the same as the world at large. Love and peace and harmony flows from forgiveness. So going back to Jesus, in Matthew, you'll remember, he said, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled to your brother before coming back to the altar. In Jesus' death, God went to the ultimate length to forgive us so that we can be truly free to forgive one another. So before we come to communion, can I invite you to think back to what God might have brought into your mind a little while ago? any unforgiveness that's in your heart. If there's someone you need to offer forgiveness to or ask forgiveness from, then please find an appropriate way to do it. If that person's here, perhaps you could be brave enough to speak to them. Or forgive them now in your heart and make a mental note to speak that forgiveness out at a later date, trusting God will bring about the right circumstances for that to happen. So as we come to share communion, let's remember what Paul says in verse 11 of this chapter. Let's put off our old selves and put on the new. For as such, there's no division. Christ is in all and is all. 
I'm just going to read a few words now to prepare us for communion. And what I hope we could do this morning, you'll see I've set up, or it has been set up, there's a, a circle of chairs with the communion there, and here, and there's another one in the back room, uh, and there's one for the parents and Todd's upstairs. As our series is one another, I thought it would be really nice if we could sit around the communion table and share communion with one another rather than it coming from the front. Um, so when I, I've read this introductory um, prayer and invitation, perhaps you just move slowly. As the chairs are filled up, serve one another and then come back to your seats and, and fill. I, I think probably there's um, enough spaces for there just to be two rounds, as it were, so it shouldn't take too long. Um, and there are eight or so chairs through there. I'll open the door in a moment. He was always the guest. In the homes of Peter and Jairus, Martha and Mary, Joanna and Susanna, he was always the guest. At the meal tables of the wealthy, where he pled the case of the poor, he was always the guest. Upsetting polite company, befriending isolated people, welcoming the stranger, he was always the guest. But here, at this table, he is the host. Those who wish to serve him must first be served by him. Those who want to follow him must first be fed by him. Those who would wash his feet must first let him make them clean. For this is the table where God intends us to be nourished. This is the time when Christ can make us new. So come, you who hunger and thirst for a deeper faith, for a better life, for a fairer world. Jesus Christ, who has sat at our tables, now invites us to be guests at his. On the night on which he was betrayed, and as they were sitting at a meal, Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it. He gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, it is broken for you. Do this to remember me. Later, after they had eaten, he took a cup of wine and he said, This cup is the new relationship with God, made possible because of my death. Drink this, all of you, to remember me. So now we do as Jesus did. We take this bread and this wine, the produce of the earth and the fruit of human labor. In these, Jesus has promised to be present. Through these, Christ can make us whole, forgiven and forgiving. Please go and serve one another in communion. <clears throat> 